what a beautiful, beautiful afternoon we had. I was, uh, I was outside, yeah, I got outside on the deck, sitting out there doing, going over my notes this afternoon in a t-shirt, feeling nice and comfortable, but uh, I was looking around at all the snow. We still got quite a ways to go, but uh, we'll get there, won't we? Uh, turn in your Bibles to Psalm 100. If you're, if you're watching up here on the screen, uh, Psalm 100, verse 5, happened to be verse, I guess, Brother Job put up there. Uh, that's going to be the sum and substance of our text this evening. But we're going to read the whole Psalm 100, it's just five verses. It'll help us get a little bit of context about uh, the direction we're going to go <clears throat> with this uh, portion of Scripture. Psalm 100, beginning in verse 1. It says, Make a joyful noise unto the Lord, all ye lands. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come before his presence with singing. Know ye that the Lord, he is God. It is he that hath made us, and not we ourselves. We are his people, and the sheep of his pasture. Enter the gates with thanksgiving, and into his courts with praise. Be thankful unto him, and bless his name. For the Lord is good. His mercy is everlasting, and His truth endureth to all generations. Let's again go to the Lord and we'll continue. <clears throat> Wonderful God, we thank You for how You bless our lives through the written Word. We thank You for the way that the Holy Spirit ministers to our soul and spirit as we commune with You in times of meditation and prayer. I pray, God, that You just bless this time, hold up the preacher, give uh, the, those in audience uh, uh, attentiveness, Lord, that we can, uh, we can all get something on this beautiful, beautiful, beautiful portion of Scripture. In Christ's name I pray, amen. <clears throat> if you make note, in the, the first uh, four verses, they all begin with uh, uh, a, a, an action word, make a joyful noise, serve the Lord, know ye the Lord, he is good, and enter into his gates with thanksgiving. All these uh, indicate activities or things that God would have us to be about. And I always was always struck with verse 3, where he talks about himself as creator, that we're his sheep and the sheep of his pasture. And you know, David wrote that Psalm 23, where he said, The Lord is my shepherd. And he knew God in that way that he knew him as his Lord and Savior, and that he, that he recognized God as shepherd him, shepherding him as he went through life. You know, the, the, we heard it from the pulpit before that the sheep aren't very smart critters. They need somebody to, to, to guide them, to lead them, and to, to help them because they can't make it on their own. Well, that's the way we are before our God and Savior. But then in verse 5, uh, verse five, 5 informs us why we should take on and do these things. To worship, to give praise, to recognize God as Savior and Lord. Um, because of His goodness, His mercy, and His truth. Where would we be without our Lord's goodness? Where would we be without the Lord's mercy? Where would we be without our Lord's truth? 
All of God's moral attributes are an offshoot or extension of His holiness, which is the foremost of these attributes. His love, His mercy, His grace, His tender loving kindness, His forgiveness, all these things are stemmed or apart. They stem from God's holiness. God's holiness speaks of His absolute separation from Everything in, in the created realm, he is the creator, and we are the, of the creation. And he's also equally absolutely separated from all moral and spiritual sin and evil. Holiness being his absolute separation, again, from all those things in, in the realm of his creation. And that includes us. And... As we investigate this first term of God's goodness, God isn't just good because he does good. Remember, God, everything that God does is good because his holiness demands it. So let's look a little closer at God's goodness. Where would we be without God's goodness? That's the first question that we look at. Rather than try to, uh, to further define God's word, let's just look at a few scripture references that talk about this attribute. The first one I want to look at actually popped into my mind uh, when I uh, first was, uh, began to study out this, uh, this message. Um, uh, Sister Kara had put a post on Facebook that that you know, just pictured this verse, Psalm 119, verse 68. And I was challenged by it when I first uh, read it, and I began thinking on it and meditating on it, and it's kind of stuck with me. So when I started writing this message about God's goodness, I said, i got to put this in here. It says there, Psalm 119, verse 68, Speaking of God, Thou art good, and doest good. Teach me thy statutes. The psalm writer was right in looking to God, uh, God's word, to learn about God's goodness and how he could be judged good in God's eyes. He prays in a sense, Lord, be good and do good to me, that I may be both good and do good through thy teaching. God's word is the, the absolute standard by which we are to establish our faith and practice for service in this, uh, in this existence. And God has, in a sense, a monopoly on goodness, for it is not found naturally in any of us, his created beings, and that is, you know, that's every one of us. In Romans chapter 3, verses 10 and 12, it says, As it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. There is none that understandeth, there is none that seeketh after God. They are all gone out of the way. They are together become unprofitable. It says that there is none that doeth good. No, not one. It's plain to see that in our natural self, the lost man has no innate goodness in him. It's not that we can't do some good. And this is something I try to emphasize all the time, especially when I'm preaching in the jail. It's a natural tendency when people begin to experience Conviction of sin or, convic or a burden about their spiritual position before God is to start trying to do something 
to clean up their act, to get right with God. That's the way that, that's the way I lived the first 34 years of my life. When I would have thoughts about that, I would always think, well, I need to get right with God and I'm going to do it someday. But I didn't know how. And so I kept trying to quit drinking, kind of quit using drugs, tried, tried to quit to taking God's name in vain, but I never could get there. And it was at the point that as God, I had enough knowledge of God's word. I knew the Ten Commandments, and I knew about those things that they said were in there, and I knew that I violated with impunity. And it was at that time then that God began to work on me, and finally up at the gold mine up there on Younger Creek, God sent somebody from Plaquemine Baptist Church in August of 1982 to share with me the gospel, and I was saved as I believed on Christ as my Savior. It was a... Uh, the Bible says that the goodness of God leads us to salvation. And so we need to remember, the first thing that we need to remember is who we are. We certainly need to know who God is in His holiness and His righteousness and His perfection. But we have to start to get a handle on who we are. That we be come to the position where we can humble ourselves before God for salvation. And that we don't stop having that attitude through our life. Pride is a, is a dangerous, uh, uh, dangerous a sub, a substance as a dynamite or an atomic bomb. Because it'll take down a life in a heartbeat. But we let the specter of pride rule our life. Because that's, that's what the flesh wants. The Bible says that pride goeth for destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall... And if we aren't very, very careful, we can give ourselves over to the matters of the flesh in, in just that quick. And we can profane ourselves and our testimony before God if we aren't very, very careful. In Romans chapter 2, verse 4, it says, Or despisest thou the riches of his goodness and forbearance and long suffering, not knowing that the goodness of God leadeth thee to repentance? When it talks about despising these things, it's, it's like viewing something of no worth or even of, of no value or something that's just empty and without worth. Well, that certainly is not the truth. For an individual to despise the wonderful attributes of God is a sin in itself. And when it talks about God's forbearance, His goodness, and then His forbearance, Forbearance is, is like, <clears throat> we're all born with that sin nature. That even from that, that baby that, that is so lovely and, and you hold in your arms and you watch him or her grow up in time, that sin nature, it stays, it's as it stays dormant, is that God has that child under a, a measure of grace. But there comes a time when that individual comes to what we call the age of accountability, where that they spiritually at that time die and fall and become, they need to be saved because they no longer have a spiritual relationship with God. Now what age that occurs at, I don't know. Looking back on my life, I know that it was pretty early before I got into my teens. I know, I know exactly when I know for sure that I was, I was lost because of some of the things I did and I, and I enjoyed and I reveled in them. And so examine your heart, if young, young lady, young person. 
if you haven't made the choice to believe on God as your Savior, why not? It's the goodness of God that he works on us to bring us to the cross of Christ. And it says that he leadeth, God leadeth us. If you're listening to him, if you're listening to his word, hear it and obey it and make it personal. Uh, Sir, Sir Francis Bacon said of all virtues and dignities of the mind, goodness is the greatest being the character of the deity, and without it, man is a busy, mischievous, and wretched thing. And that's the very truth. Without God as our Savior, without knowing Him, without having experienced the goodness of God as He leads us to the matter of salvation, there's nothing much in your life that is ever going to amount to anything. Even those rich people, the billionaires and so on, without Christ, they have nothing that they're going to be able to hold before God when they come before him for goodness, uh, for, for, uh, for uh, judgment. Because they haven't come to a, a, a believing relationship in Christ. They'll be forever separated from him by their sin. And, you know, for most of us, most of you, we've all had a measure of spiritual, uh, of, of spiritual truth brought to us. And uh, the Bible says we're then without excuse. In James 4, 17, it says, Therefore, to him that knoweth to do good, and doeth it not, to him it is sin. So whether it's a matter of uh, everyday life, everyday uh, challenges, everyday decisions to make, uh, about uh, obedience in the home, or whether it's about the matter of whether we're going to listen to God and obey Him in, in our daily life as a matter of spiritual the, the testings and the things that we go through. If we don't do the things that we know to do good, the Bible says it's sin. So how do you know what's good and what's right or wrong? Well, <clears throat> we begin to learn uh, from, from your youth, from your childhood, don't we? I watch the parents as they parent their kids. They're teaching them to understand about the responsibility, accountability, they learn, they learn from right or wrong, and they learn that there are consequences when we don't obey the authority that's given over us. And God ultimately has authority over every individual, every family in this existence. And for not to do the things that we know, it's like when you know that there's something there that you should be doing, you've made the choice to not do it, you better start feeling some guilt for it. Because you violated the dictates of God, His Word, His statutes, and He will not, as we're going to see in a little bit, He will not hold individuals guiltless who violate His Word. <clears throat> so, it's plain then that the, the natural man, or the lost man, has no innate goodness in him. The only way we can have rightness or goodness it comes from being born again into God's family, the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. The Bible, and the Bible alone, sets the standard for goodness for our faith and practice in this existence. Amen. So, where would we be then without God's mercy? Another good question. God's mercy is His goodness shown towards those who are in misery and in distress. God's mercy is, is Him not giving us the punishment that we deserve for the sins that we have done. 
compassion, pity, loving kindness, or other terms used in scripture to describe practically the same thing. Um, I like to think of that adjective added to that, tender loving kindness that God has for us. That he knows and he has knowledge, even has sympathy for the things that we go through. He sees the suffering, he sees the, the pain, he sees the disappointments, he sees the failures, and he cares. Because he's good, when we come to him seeking forgiveness for the times that we have violated his word, then he is willing to extend his mercy to us. <clears throat> Let me say this, God's mercy is as his forgiveness it's limitless and eternal as God himself, but God grants his mercy and he only grants his forgiveness to them that come seeking it. That's an important point to understand. It's like it's even as the gift of salvation itself that God offers. We know from Ephesians 2, 8, and 9, for by grace are you saved through faith and not of yourselves. It is a gift of God, not of works the any man should boast. A gift to become a possession, it has to be gratefully received. Without it, uh, the individual, not knowing God's mercy or having his forgiveness, remains under the burden and the responsibility for their sin debt. Uh, in uh, James chapter 5, verses 4 and 6, it says, When God, who is rich in mercy, rich in mercy, He's got it all waiting there for you and for me to access it through our faith in Him, who is rich in mercy for His great love, wherein He loved us, even where we were yet sinners, uh, sinners, Christ has died for us and hath raised us up together and made us to sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. He's seen us in our worst days. He's seen us in our good days, our best days, but he's seen us in our bad days too. And he still loves us. You know, there's, there's a matter about that for the, for the lost person. You need to remember that you, even though you may have done a lot of bad things, God is still willing to forgive those sins because of the depth of his love is so great that he wills that every person would come to them, come to him in repentance and faith and be a part of his forever family. It's not that he overlooks the things that we do. It's that he understands that he's made a way possible that we can be reconciled and made right with him through the shed blood sacrifice of his son. And so <clears throat> there is the, in verse six there of that, uh, uh, chapter in, uh, in James, it says, again, we've had some teaching in, uh, in times past, not so long ago, about the resurrection of the, the new body that believers will get. And there's a promise in here that says, talks about that specifically. As I kind of read through that pretty fast, it says, and he hath raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ. <clears throat> That's a part of our glorification, you see. We're justified by faith, 
we are sanctified and separated from the power of sin. And then we're, the glorification talks about how the fact that we have a heavenly home and it's a done deal. Okay, it's a done deal. And it's, it, God speaks, it, it's like it's here, it's like it's already happened. And, that's, and then to him and for you and me, it's an absolute truth that one day we'll sit with him in heavenly places. We'll have a new resurrected body. We won't have to deal with this carcass anymore. And that's something we can hold on to and should. And for the, for the saved person, that's a joy. And for the lost person, it's something that you need to know and understand that you need. You need to have that personal standing, that personal relationship. You need the Lord Jesus Christ in your life as God and Savior. In Luke chapter 18, verses 10 through 4, we see an example of an individual who really understood about his need of mercy. This is a very, very familiar account. In Luke 18, it begins in verse 10, that two men went up to the temple to pray, the one a Pharisee and the other a publican, a tax collector. The Pharisee stood and prayed thus with himself, God, I thank thee that I am not as other men are, extortioners, you know, crooked in their dealings, um, unjust, adulterers, or even as this publican, and he points to that fellow off to the side. He said, I fast twice in the week. I give tithes of all that I possess. And the publican, it says, standing far off, would not lift up so much as his eyes unto heaven, but smote upon his breast. God, be merciful to me, a sinner. And here it is. Jesus said, and I tell you, this man, the publican, went down to his house justified in the legal sense that his sins had been forgiven, having been come under the blood and born into God's family, that he no longer was in the, would face the court of God for, his, for punishment for his sin because his sins had been forgiven. He's, he went down to his house justified rather than the other for everyone that exalteth himself. See, that the, the Pharisee was just bubbling over with pride. I, 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 when you go into, I think it's Ezekiel chapter 28, it talks about how that, that Lucifer uh, the, became the prince of power of the air, Satan. He said, I want this, I will be like the most high, I will exalt myself, I want the throne of heaven. He had an eye problem. It was pride in Satan that brought him down, and Lucifer that brought him down, and it would ultimately would be pride that brings this Pharisee down, it is ultimately pride that brings very, very often the lost sinner to go out of this world, to stay in his unbelief, and to go out of this world lost and undone and facing the judgment and the punishment of God. Pride makes that neck stiff. It makes those knees so stiff that they won't bow. It, it, it's, like the, it's like the mule, or you know, they talk about how stubborn as a mule. You can get that mule when he sets his feet and you try to pull him, he ain't, ain't going to go. He resists. Well, that's sometimes the way the lost person, you exercise this will that you have. The human will is very, very powerful. Nobody can make you believe anything if you choose to resist it. That is the power of the will. But the, power, the will is also powerful to make decisions to believe, to make choices that are good. 
rather than resisting the, the evil of the, of the world and the things of the flesh, <clears throat> we cannot give in to them because Jesus said, everyone that exalteth himself will be abased. They're going to be brought down. And he that humbleth himself shall be exalted, shall be lifted up. Again, the, the commentator Taylor said, mercy is like the rainbow which God has set in the clouds. We're still a bit early for rainbows, but I'm looking. It never shines after it is night. If we refuse mercy here, we shall have justice in eternity. That means you're going to pay your sin debt. All those lost sinners that are down in hell, even now, they're paying off the sin debt that they incurred in this life. They went out of this existence with, this, with the burden of their sin still upon them. It's just like, you know, if you've got a, a heavy weight hanging on a cord, and if you cut that cord, it's going to head straight down. It's going to head towards the middle of the earth. Well, it isn't going to make it because of the ground or something, but the, the, the soul and spirit, I want you to understand this, the moment in time you take your last breath and, and die, that soul and spirit is going to leave this existence and it's going to be headed for the fires of hell, right straight to the center of the earth. It's posited that the earth's core is molten iron. And that's where the, the souls of the lost will abide until the final days when as the Bible says that death and hell will be cast into the lake of fire. That's the eternal separation from God. No person need under, uh, under, undergo that kind of uh, punishment if they're willing to come and seek God's mercy and his forgiveness for sin. So, where would we be without God's truth? Well, we would surely be lost and undone, for faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. That's Romans 10, 17. Faith is believing. Faith is receiving. Faith is trusting in the word of God to the exclusion of all else. We know that John 17, 17, it said, Sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. Again, and this is something that's, that's difficult. I'm dealing with my brother. Uh, he has lung cancer, and he's, he's trying to decide whether he's going to take chemo or just going to let himself go and die. It's hard. My brother's lost. I speak to him about, about Christ and the need of salvation, and it's, it's like uh, water rolling off a duck's back. He just feels he's good to go. He, he knew Jesus from when he was a little boy. He knew the name of Jesus, but he has not been born again into God's family. Satan has put the blinders on him. I'm just praying that the Lord, will, the Holy Spirit will work on him yet to, to give him a burden about, uh, about his sin and that the belief system that he's put his faith in will be shook to the max so that the Word of God can get through to him. Jesus himself is the way, the truth, and the life. And the Bible says that no man can cometh unto the Father but by him. Through faith in Jesus Christ, we're born into God's forever family. We have a forever relationship with him that cannot be stolen away. 
a lot of wonderful things and possessions I've had in my life have come and gone and lost. But the gift of salvation I received up on Younger Creek back in 1982 took a lot of gold out of the creek, you know, over those years. Took out a thousand ounces the first couple of years. I got royalty off of that. Uh, I'm not going to tell you what I spent it on. I spent it on some of my good stuff. But it's all gone. I got more gold in my teeth now than I've, than I've you know, got anything else. But that gift of salvation is priceless and I'll possess it and it'll be a possession that I'll have now and into eternity. The truth of God is not only the foundation of all religion, but also of all knowledge. He is, He, God, is the source of all truth, wisdom, and knowledge. Many people today would ask, as Pontius Pilate did at the trial of Jesus, what is truth? And they speak it almost always as likely as Pilate did, as a mocking thing. What is truth? Even, even 2,000 years ago, it was viewed by many that, that truth was subjective, that you couldn't really know truth, that it was, truth was as an individual chose it to be true. Ironically, <clears throat> Pontius Pilate had the truth standing before him, the Lord Jesus Christ. As I said, he is the way, the truth, and the life. Um, Pilate refused to believe the testimony and the witness of Jesus Christ, much like most of the world's people do today, to their loss, for their eternal loss. Spiritual Charles Lindbergh said this, he said, spiritual truth is more essential to a nation than mortar to its city's walls. For when the actions of a people are unguided by these truths, by Bible truths, it is only a matter of time before the walls themselves collapse. And as you view um, what's going on in our country today, you can see that truth has been thrown into the streets. There's no longer a vision for God in, in, across our nations in the families in the communities of God. Charles Lindbergh knew some things. He was a, he was a very intelligent man. He was a man that, uh, uh, he, was, he was an avowed socialist, but in World War II, he served in combat as a civilian because Franklin Delano Roosevelt wouldn't recognize him because of his, his, his politics. But one little rabbit trail, uh, uh, Lindbergh was very, very intelligent. He knew about airplanes and aircraft. And he, he was in, uh, he was working with the P-38 Lightning aircraft, the fork-tailed devil. He, he came up with a way that he could modify the, uh, they could set at cruising speed, they could set the, uh, the RPMs of the motor at the engine at a certain rate, and they could set the uh, manifold pressure a certain way, and they could extend the range of the, P-38 very, very much, and it helped the war effort. It probably was integral, and when, the, when they sent a, when they shot down the, the, pilot, the plane that uh, Yamamoto uh, was, was flying in. So Lindbergh knew some things. I don't believe he was a saved man, but he had moral, more moral fiber than 
uh, most people in our world today. It's one of the says I've, I've said for many, many years, and I've done I've done one-on-one -on -one Bible studies in the jail with dozens, if not a hundred men. And one of the things I always wanted to do is just show them God's word, what it says, and try to, if I can't, if it, and I give them the, the gospel until they quit coming. Be either believe or they quit coming. But even then, if you can instill some moral guidelines so you can keep those people from making the decisions that brought them into jail, then you, I feel like we've accomplished something. So, one might paraphrase verse 5 like this. The Lord is good. The Lord's mercy is everlasting. The Lord's truth endureth to all generations. As I thought on how to conclude this message, these verses came to mind from Exodus chapter 34, verses 6 and 7. They're very, very familiar, I'm sure. But they really describe the essence of what we're trying to get to about tonight. It says there, and the Lord, that's Jehovah God, passed before him, uh, that was Moses, and proclaimed the Lord, the Lord God, merciful and gracious, long-suffering and abundant in goodness and truth, keeping mercy for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, and that will by no means clear the guilty. So, ponder that. I noted in these verses that how, God, how goodness, mercy, and truth were grouped together, and why? Well, perhaps simply that God wanted us to understand how important they are, not just to believers, but to all the world's people. Remember from, from our psalm, this was something that I, that I was thinking on even this evening as I was polishing on this. It says there, make a joyful noise unto the Lord, all ye lands. <clears throat> you get into Jesus' times, and the Jews had been under the control of the Pharisees, and they had codified the law to, uh, to make it a, a system of works, but they would not have any, anything to do with, with Gentile people or non-Jews. But God said here, make a joyful unto the Lord, all ye lands, all people, all time, everywhere, young and old, whatever age description, Whatever nationality, uh, you have the opportunity to be saved if you're willing to repent and believe. You know, we've been pleasured to be able to look over the, you know, over the shoulder of our team over into Beirut, Lebanon, to be able to see the, the faces of people that have been born again into God's family. <laughs> different language, different culture, yeah. But all in the same family because they've experienced the goodness of God that led them to salvation. They've, they've experienced His mercy. They've asked for His mercy and they've received forgiveness by believing on the truth that's written in this book. So in answer to the questions first posed at the beginning of this message, where would we be without God's goodness? Where would we be without our Lord's mercy? Where would we be without our Lord's truth? You'd be lost and undone and headed to hell. Period. So consider in this moment in time, if you haven't made the choice to believe on Christ as your Savior, um, <clears throat> again, if you see, the Bible says if you, if, you, if you know to do good and you do with it not, it is sin. 
and God will not pardon any sin. It says in Revelation chapter 21, it goes through and it lists all the things that, that are very, very wicked things that will separate us from God. It says all liars shall have their part in the lake of fire that burns with fire and brimstone. One unconfessed lie is enough to carry the lost soul to the fires of hell. Again, make that choice in this time. Understand, loosen that stiff neck, bow that knee. Think on, think on the awfulness of hell that awaits you if you die in your sin. No person need go there if they're willing to experience God's forgiveness. Make the choice. Make the choice. Make the choice. Let's pray. Wonderful Father, we thank you for being with us this evening. I love this, these people. I love this church so much. I love our pastors. I love those that have gone into the field time and time again to, to, to share the gospel. For men like Ron Lambert, for men like uh, uh, Noah George, for Pastor Humphrey and for Pastor Demlo, how they've guided this, this uh, church down through the, the years. What a blessing, Lord, to be a part of a work where we can know that um, the Word of God is going out, that uh, as much as we're able, we're trying to obey the Great Commission. And so I pray that you'd bless the efforts of this church in the jail and in the native ministries. Lord, uh, however and wherever we would to be able to be found faithful. In Christ's name I pray very humbly.